Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to Near and Queer to My Heart. I'm your host, Amanda G., Thank y'all, as always, for tuning in, for supporting the podcast. This is a big one. This is a big one, not only for the guests that we have, Mitch Gonzalez, who is amazing and wonderful storyteller out of New Orleans. Not originally from New Orleans, but we'll talk about that in the podcast. He has so many lovely things to say, and he's just so funny and such a delight. But also, this episode comes to you on your host, Amanda G's 40th birthday. That's right, people turn 40, and I'm doing it today. I didn't know. I didn't know what this was going to look like. I didn't know what I was going to feel like at 40. You know, I used to watch like Sex in the City and I thought, oh, I'm going to be like them, a powerful New York woman who has taken my industry by storm. I only wear heels that look really uncomfortable, but I make them comfortable. I wear very nice outfits. I don't take public transportation anymore. I'm 40. I take a rented car. I take a limo. That's not exactly how life panned out, but I also still love public transportation. I don't think there's an age limit on it. I, uh, I don't know. Life's been good. Life's been fun. And I'm happy to be 40 and I'm happy to be celebrating it here with you with this newest episode of Near and Queer to My Heart. One thing you could do to wish me a happy birthday, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Let your friends know. Here's this great queer podcast where people are telling awesome queer stories. So support us. We'd love to hear it. But right now, let's get to the episode. Let's get to Mitch Gonzalez. Hey, hey Mitch, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm a, I'm a little tired and I'm a little high, but I'm pretty good. Perfect. That's how we like our guests. A little <laughs> tired and a little high. That's that's how we do it here at Near and Queer to My Heart. <laughs> Usually I start off and you kind of like go through your life story and get to know you beyond the stage, you know, because I've heard and you always tell some pretty like personal, funny, cool stories at uh, Greetings from Queer Mountain. So I've gotten to know you like a little bit through that. But usually I would start and be like, where are you from? And we'll kind of like figure that out. But you just had something big happen. So I want to start right there. Like, Congratulations. You just got engaged. I know. Right. Poor uh, condolences to my partner, Marilyn. Hey, she, has- had, she had the option. She did. <laughs> I think, you know, I think it helps, you know, everything people now are thinking about, you know, more and more like the post-apocalyptic society that we're going to be in. And some of us are trying to make sure we're with the good people. (laughs) (laughs) At least that was my motivation. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that's why I wanted to start there. Because first of all, I'd like to hear your engagement story, like how that came about 
was she surprised? How did you feel? Like, how'd you plan it out? Did you have other options? Like, tell us, you know, how that all got going, how it happened. So funny enough, the place I chose was, it happens to be a place where precisely one year prior, because it was on New Year's Day that I proposed. And it's because precisely one year prior, Marilyn and I, that's my partner, were tripping on shrooms <laughs> uh, in Miami Beach. And uh, towards the end of our trip, you know, I was like admiring this like pelican. This pelican was absolutely the main character in my mind at the time. And I was like a sub character. <laughs> and we were by the rocks, by the water. And as I'm doing that, there's this old guy. And I say old guy because that's, you know, he was a much older gentleman. He was in the water by the rocks in a part that normally people aren't swimming by because there's not really beach there. This is in Miami Beach at a place called South Point. And I'm looking at him and I'm starting to just, just like admire him. He's like exercising full hard New Year's Day early in the morning. I'm like, look at how beautiful that is. Anyhow, we start to leave. We're like, all right, we did it. We came here early. We saw the first sunrise of the new year, tripping on shrooms, mission accomplished. We're going home. We're coming down. As we're leaving, the guy's coming out of the water and we sort of like meet eyes for a second and we wish each other a happy new year because we sort of were acknowledging each other in that moment. And he said to us, did you say yes? Or, you know, and we were like, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, I thought, you know, you proposed. Well, if, you know, and I said, oh, ha, ha, no, I wasn't. Pro-. We were just like bonding or whatever. We were talking. We weren't proposing. He said, well, I was watching you guys. And it's very clear. I've seen a lot of people in my lifetime. And it's very clear as you guys love each other so deeply. And, uh, you know, you should get married, you know, because life, life is so in, in one aspect, life is so short. But at the same time, it's so long. And when you two find a love that's real like that, that people can see it, you know, you should hold on to that. So this guy <laughs> it was very Nature moving. Just, like clocked you, but like in such a cool, wonderful, happy way. It was beautiful. And, you know, here I said, well, you know, we were admiring you, which I don't think he was expecting. I said, well, it was a beautiful thing to see you just feeling like feeling so in tune with nature and alive. And I said, you know, we said we wanted to be more like you. So thank you so much and happy new year. And we love you. It's like, yeah, that's amazing. His name was Dave, by the way. And I called that story the book of Dave. <laughs> but he he was like yeah what are your names as we were leaving like happy new year whatever and we were like mitch and Marilyn. he was like oh you gotta get mitch and Marilyn. you gotta get married with names like that m&m <laughs> <So>. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that has continued very cheesily with our dogs we have two dogs me uh miso and mochi so we've definitely kept it up it's a little ridiculous <laughs> i love that i see i had no idea i just i saw that honestly new year's i'm like going through my feed and i see all these straight couples get engaged and i'm like fuck you fuck you and then i saw you <laughs> and then i saw y'all and i was like oh my god i need to know everything about this i'm so happy for them thank you now that's my best friend we've been together five years and we've known each other very well for six we were like basically best friends at work before we got together. And I'm so I'm, I'm stoked, you know, I'm really happy. Okay. So then you went back a year later to that same spot. Was Dave there? No, (laughs) Dave was not there, but I planned it all out with her besties who were like in town and she was surprised, but she started to suspect like right before it happened, I could tell she knew what was happening. So yeah, I took her back to that spot and the proposal was pretty simple. And she, even though she wasn't totally surprised, she was super emotional. She was so sweet, but I basically, you know, Like I said, that's my best friend. And we've always talked about like different versions of ourselves. You know how you're like a version of yourself at work. It's a little different than the version of yourself with your friends or with your or with your family. And I used to look, you know, before our relationship, I used to lament that I felt like the version of myself that I liked the best was the version of myself at work. And I was like, well, that seems fucked up. Like, (laughs) what about my poor friends and family? (laughs) 
that's not the one I wanted. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, God damn, where are my priorities, right? Like, what, what did capitalism do to me? But <laughs> so I told Marilyn, you know, we've always talked about that. And the version of myself that I love best is the one worthy of sharing a life with you. That was it. She couldn't say no to that. I mean, I made it very hard. <laughs> like, she would have been the villain in that story for sure. <laughs> like, I'm glad you're better with me, but yeah, sorry, not sorry, guys. <laughs> Where's Dave though? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I don't have an update for you about Dave. No. I don't have an update for you about Dave. But and so cool. Seen... He like popped out of the water, <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking mermaid or some shit. <laughs> You know, that would be amazing. I'll, I'll have to track him down. Unfortunately, I don't have many details on Dave other than that he's an older gentleman named Dave who likes morning swims <laughs> by Miami Dave, Beach. Dave, if you're out there, let us know. Oh my you're God, gonna, yes. You're going to be the officiant. You're going to be the ring bearer <laughs> in this wedding. We're going to get you in there. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, one thing I always ask people who are married or get engaged and, and you kind of, I guess you touched on this a little bit, if it's like the apocalypse happens and you want to, you know, make sure you're like legally betrothed to somebody, but well, why marriage? Yeah, I've never, to be honest, I've never cared about marriage um, like that, unless it's like as a means to an end, right? Like certain rights or benefits that you can get. I've been, I will confess I'm a divorcee. And the last time I got married, it was my main motivation was to keep her to get, you know, to help her get immigration status. I mean, we were genuinely in a relationship, but that was my main motivation. Otherwise, I don't really I've never really cared about marriage. And I've always been one of those queer people that is like down with marriage as an institution. You should just be able to, you know, pick your family that gets benefits from the government, um, regardless of relationship status. And um, I think a couple reasons. I think that we can right now. You know what I mean? I think like that's something that's very real. Like, like things have changed so much that that's not always going to be the case. So, you know, the fact is we can right now. So that's one. And I think too, you know, we're not, we're, we're not super monogamous um, in the sense that like, I'm totally fine. I'm one of these people on the spectrum of polyamory where I'm like, I want my partner to be happy and not feel like imprisoned by my relationship. You know what I mean? So if she wants to explore things, as long, except for where, like, I'm kind of a romantic where I want to be the only one that you are, like, building a life with. I don't really want anyone up in that cut. It's, like, me, you, and the dogs. Yeah. yeah like, we're all named M here. It's really hard for everyone to, to fit in. We're not getting it. We're... We bring Kevin in here, like, no. Yes, exactly. No Kevins. Oh, my God. It's so funny that you, that you said that. No Kevins allowed. But so I think that that was part of my... I don't know. I like it. It meant something to me. I want us to be able to exchange vows. That's what means more to me. Also, it'd be nice to be able to confer certain benefits on her, you know, like insurance and all kinds of stuff. Like I want to make sure she has access to all the things and that we can, if we decide one day that we want to try to get property, it'll be easier for marriage. Just things that have come easier to it. Um, And for her, I think that that whole exchanging of vows, like I think she's as stupid as it is, even though she's super queer and I'm trans, like I think she's always kind of dreamed of like, being proposed to so I made that happen for her you know because like it's something that meant something to her yeah I always ask that because I'm just like like for me I have this real hesitancy about getting the government involved in my shit more than like they already are and that I have mm. no choice about so that's where I'm always like but why why can't I just commit to to the person I'm going to commit to why do I have to have a license like <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot and then untangling yourself from that person is a lot too yeah it sounds like you've been through that process as well <laughs> Amen. 
Yeah, well, I always say, you know, because I've bought houses with two of my exes now, and I'm just like, you want to commit to someone, buy a fucking house with them. Like, that mortgage company doesn't give a shit if you're married, if you're not, like, they will find you. I think I know that, I think I know this already, but uh, where are you from? I am from Hialeah, and eventually Miami, uh, Florida, and my family are Cuban and Puerto Rican. Mostly. Although, technically, my mom is half Irish, and she didn't meet any of that Irish family until well into adulthood, until well after graduating from uh, nursing school, which she did later in life because she was like a teen mom. It's this whole weird story where I didn't meet any of those Irish people until I was like 13 years old when she met her father for the first time, essentially. She'd, she'd only met him once before when she was like seven and she spoke no English and he spoke no Spanish. And so they didn't even really talk to each other. They just kind of met randomly one time. He's like Irish, Irish? Irish American. Okay. So I think his, it was actually his parents, I think, that were immigrants to New York. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. And then when did when did you get to Miami? I was born in Miami. My mom was born and raised in Puerto Rico, but my family is mostly Cuban immigrants. But yeah, I was born I was born in Miami and I was raised in like Hialeah and then a place called Kendall, which back in my day, like now it's like super it's like much nicer and suburban looking but when i was growing up it was a little more ratchet than that it was and so like what they called us kids was kendall rats that's what they would call you if you were from kendall they call you a kendall rat <laughs> okay now with kendall jenner that sounds like it's probably <laughs> something different <laughs> exactly all right so you grew up in miami um when did you first leave miami when i was 19 i transferred uh from a local college to nyu in new york and i oh, went sure. to new york by myself with I didn't have anyone over there what made you decide to do that like you, you're in Miami with all your people you're going to school there and you're like fuck it I'm going to New York alone let's go to like the biggest city <laughs> most populated city where it's like they, they never sleep and there's you know New Yorkers running around and you're like that's what I'm gonna do I kind of I think I always wanted to and then right at, like towards the end of graduating high school so I went to a public high school that was so fucking enormous that my graduating class was like almost a thousand kids, like just the kids graduating. It was so overpopulated and undersourced. And um, I did really well in school, but the counseling that they had was like non-existent. Like they took like my senior year, they were like, asked me down to the guidance counselor and uh, they looked at my file and they were like, oh, why are you here? You're graduating. And I was like, um, I want to go to college. <laughs> I was like, I want to go somewhere. And they were like, just stay in Florida. You'll get a full bright scholarship. And that's like what they push on you, you know? And um, my senior year, I had like a secret torrid romance with a girl. And that also kind of made me be depressed because I wasn't out. And so I just didn't leave. And then I got, I finally started to feel better and I got desperate because, you know, South Florida, especially Miami and Miami is pretty dominated by like Cuban American and other like, you know, Latino and Caribbean cultures. It's very gendered, like very fucking gendered. And I think I was just suffocating and I just needed to get out. So it was a combination of things of, of just like having to build that opportunity for myself. Yeah. No, in NYU, I mean, if you have a chance to go to NYU, like. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was great. It was pretty cool. I mean, the the debt I had to incur <laughs> was not as cool. But <laughs> we don't think about that then, though. You know, like, I always say, like, when you're 18, 19, they're like, you're an adult. And then they're like, you want to go to NYU? It's what, 30,000, 50,000, whatever it is. And you're like, sure, that doesn't mean anything. What's that? Make it a million. I don't know the difference. I'm fucking 19 years old. 
yo the the truth and your prefrontal cortex is not even or prefrontal lobe or whatever it is hasn't even finished forming until you're like mid 20s so what we do to these kids is so fucked and they're like also figure out your whole life like now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're on your own but um but that was new york for you it was a it was it was tough at first i um yeah, I didn't have a lot of like, I guess for my standards, I didn't have a lot or for like, sorry, for New York standards, I didn't have a lot of like street smarts, you know, I mean, I'd never use public transportation because South Florida, you have to drive everywhere. So it whipped me into shape real quick, real quick on one end. On the other end, getting into more elite institutions for the first time in my life, like NYU, later internships and jobs. It was so funny because I would frequently be the person who was from like the lowest income community. I was frequently one of like a handful of like, you know, minorities. It was a very like white dominant institution situation, wealthy East coasters, you know, Jewish American princess types. (laughs) And I'd never been around people like that. And I, everybody looked at me like I was the most ghetto kind of like dangerous (laughs) person, which, which, my family could not stop dying about. Like they cried <laughs> laughing at the idea that people saw me as threatening. Like my aunt was like, you? Because <laughs> like, to them, I'm like the biggest nerd, right? Like, <laughs> so it was weird. It was a weird situation, but I loved it. I love New York. I just don't love winter. I, I, I like my soul dies. And every summer I would get amnesia. I stayed there for 10 years. Uh, and I hate I hate winter, and obviously it's also very hard. Like I was there for ten years, but I had like fourteen different addresses from how many times I had to move. Oh yeah, that's you know New York. I mean the rents are they're insane, and it's hard to explain because like I lived in New York for three years, and there's something so beautiful about it, and then there's something so terrible about it. And yeah, it's kind of it is like the amnesia of like you're. You're just like, oh, I like every time I go back, I'm like, why did I leave? It's wonderful. And then like I take one subway ride and I'm like, fuck, like this used to be my life and I hated it. <laughs> Especially I can imagine heat compared to New Orleans where everything is like seven minutes away from everything else. In New York, it's like, God forbid someone lived in a different borough. Like, well, I guess I'll see you in two years, bitch, because I'm not going over there. <laughs> you know, and um, but it, it definitely was a place that I think God, you know, Thank goodness I went because it really informed my politics, my self-discovery. Oh my God, not to mention just like the queer scene is so incredible there. And it's also one of the few places in the country that you can even find lesbian-centered, you know, or queer women-centered things, which I think was huge for me to just be able to explore that part of myself at the time. Because they, they still have Henrietta Hudson's is still around. And I went, last time I was there, I went to some bar in Brooklyn. Ginger's maybe? Um, yeah, Ginger's. I love Ginger's. Yeah. So cute. And they were having like erotic poetry night. And I was like, of course you are. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, this is wonderful and lovely. All right. Because I wanted to ask if you were out in your time in New York, but I'm actually going to ask the question. Um, this is the one question we ask pretty much every episode, except the one episode I forgot to ask it. My mom reminded me in a text message later. Um, and it's important context for like your whole life. But um, it's it's kind of the coming out question, but it's kind of more of like a coming out journey question, because I know coming out is not just like one moment in time. Um, it's not just like, yeah, I came out yesterday and this happened. It's like it's it happens every day, even though you're out now, it probably still happens. I know in my life, it happens all the fucking time. So the questions is like a couple questions that we put together into one nice, you know, bulky question, um, which is, uh, when did you first come out to yourself? Um, and when did you start coming out to friends and family? Um, and when 
did you start coming out publicly like on stage when you perform um, or was that something that was always part of like your stage persona? Oh my goodness. Oh my God. It's so funny to hear things like stage persona. I, I don't know if you know this, but like being here in New Orleans and, and doing, you know, Queer Mountain is pretty much the first and only time I've done this aside from like high school, like thespian shit, like, or middle school acting. Like I've never, I've not, I'm not like a comic like that, like you and these other, you know, I, I'd love to be, I'm, I'm hoping 2023, I can do it more just because it's not even if it goes anywhere, it just makes me so happy. It's very healing for me. Um, and I need that, you know, I need that. But anyway, uh, so coming out to myself, I mean, I think I, I knew from when I was little, you know, that I was something, but it's funny enough. I come from a generationally queer family. My grandmother was bisexual. My godparents were both gay. My godfather was my mom's best friend. And my godmother was my grandmother's like lover, basically on and off for 25, 30 years. And I think I felt a lot of pressure because like everyone knew that my family was weird, different, queer. And I felt a lot of pressure also because my mom was a teen mom and I was so desperate to make her proud to like be a perfect kid. And part of that meant being an effeminate girl and being whatever is seen as the best thing, most successful thing. And that also meant like being straight. So I actually like repressed it for a long time, even though I had a pretty accepting, had a very accepting family. Um, I didn't want people to think that I turned out to be gay because my family was gay, like that they made me gay or something, which is so stupid. It's it's ridiculous how people think gay people are are, are created or. (laughs) There'd be so much more of us. I mean, (laughs) right? The world would be more fabulous. Yes. Wouldn't we just turn everyone gay so that we could stop all this, like, don't say gay bullshit? (laughs) Yeah, like, we're not doing a very good job of recruiting. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and we're so much more fun. Like, when you think about all the people who proselytize, like, I'm sorry, but who wouldn't want to be in this club? Like, if we were recruiting, we'd have a lot more people. I'm just saying. Yeah, I tell straight people all the time we don't want you. <laughs> like, no offense, but also all the offense. Like, no, stay it's, in your fucking lane and I'll stay in my lane and they're not going to meet. And that's it's okay. So true. It's so true. But yeah, so when I was little, I knew something was different and I came out to myself. So uh, in middle school, I had a huge crush on this girl, Damaris Rubio. And I caught myself a few times, like looking at her and feeling that way about her until finally I grew, I drew up the courage to, to tell a friend of mine, a close friend of mine at the time, Yesenia, I like went to the bathroom and I like, like welled up in my throat. And I was like, I think I have a crush on Damaris Rubio. And she looked at me in utter shock. Like she just was like, wait, what? And for whatever reason, that reaction, I just like, immediately shoved everything down into the pit of my stomach and I was like oh I'm just fucking with you haha <laughs> you should have seen your face like and I swallowed it and I did not unearth it for a while I think the next time I tried to admit it to myself or anyone that was middle school was like in 10th grade I had a huge crush on my best friend's older sister oh the older sister <sighs> oh my god <laughs> oh my god she used to always she was part of this thing called bomb squad which was like all the cool hot girls were part of in my middle school before high school and it was like a dance crew like a booty dance, <laughs> dance crew. sounds like so many teen rom-coms <laughs> oh god it's so bad so anyway and she was uh, super smart and just so cool and introduced me to fiona apple just shit that's like very oh. like lesbian dreams right 
And mm-hmm. one night we were having a sleepover and we always would stay up later than my best friend because my best friend was like very, always like falling asleep everywhere. She had basically like functional narcolepsy. <laughs> and I Which told you her. you didn't mind. You didn't mind at the time, did you? Oh, absolutely not. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. And she was telling me, I was like, I don't know. I was telling her, I was kind of hinting at the whole Damaris Rubio thing about back in the day. I was like, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if I'm like attracted or not. And she was like, oh, that's normal. Like, that's how I feel about this girl I play badminton with. Like, sometimes I can't tell if I want to be like her or if I'm attracted to her. And oh. and I know. And I was like, you know, like the first person I ever felt that way about was you. And she pretended to fall asleep. Oh. <laughs> you thought you were having this moment. You're like, come on. Fiona Apple's playing right now. You said a thing. I said a thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know years later she did sneak into my room one night so we still ended up yeah um she's happily married to a man now but in any case i did that fantasy came to fruition lucky for me but but yeah so i didn't come out till i didn't come out as queer until college when i had my first official girlfriend and then i didn't come out as trans to myself or anyone until i was like 30 years old it took a long time. I think that shit was like really deep seated. I was really, really so accustomed to repressing myself. The only thing, like a lot of things made sense. I had this, I think I told you, I told the story during my first Queer Mountain about this, which is that I had my first room trip ever on my 30th birthday and that I saw my inner child and saw that it was a little boy. And that made me realize like, oh fuck, I'm trans. And I've been I've been like pretending this whole time that that's not the reality of the situation. And and then it made a lot of things in my childhood and in my adolescence make so much sense. I was such an angry fucking adolescent and when my my period came, I was I wasn't just miserable, I was viscerally angry. I was so angry and I used to also like take my breasts back, the whole thing. They grew in so quickly. I used to be like I joke about this, but I used to be a stick with tits. Like they went from flat chest to a C and then a D within a few couple years. And I was really pissed. So, yeah, it took a long it took a long time and now I'm 35 and I'm really happy, happier than I've ever been, more confident than I've ever been, and I only I only started HRT like three years ago, not even, and I I had top surgery a year and a half ago. How's your how was like coming out to your family? So when I came out as queer, everyone was like, "Yeah, duh, we've been knowing this." Like (laughs) nobody was surprised. Everyone was like, "Okay." Were you like almost disappointed? I felt like like when I came out, there wasn't this like big reveal. You know, everyone's like, "Okay, so like, can we eat dinner now?" You know, it was like (laughs) so almost mundane that I was almost like disappointed. I was just like, I wanted a fucking party. I wanted a conversation. I wanted something. Something meaningful. Yeah. Not everyone being like, welcome to reality. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, duh. But it's also great. Like, it's also great that that happened. But I just know because you build it up so much and it takes like so much and you've envisioned it in your head and you've thought about it for years and then you finally do it. And it was like, eh. but like, I'm also happy, you know, I'm also happy that like, that was kind of what happened in my life. But, but yeah, I always like wonder if people like had this expectation for the, like these moments of like coming out where they're going to be this, that, or the other. And then they just end up mm. where everyone's like, yeah, no shit. We knew. And you're like, well, then why did I hold it back all these years? Like, yeah. Why have I been like emotionally constipating myself? <laughs> <laughs> so that was different, but the whole trans thing, if what's funny is actually some of the people I came out to in my family when I told them that I was, you know, at the time I think I said I was a lesbian or gay, were like, well, at least you're not like butch. They actually Ooh. said that. They were like, like as a joke, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, you're like, ah, oh, funny joke. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I mean, the reality is that, I mean, you, I make this joke, I'm not that butch anyway, I, but I am trans. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like not that much. <laughs> like I, I know, I know how I come across. 
<laughs> and but it's interesting though, like the the what's interesting is the way gender is perceived. Oh god, I know. Like sexuality was separate for gender from like the way like femininity is represented. Like they're like, oh, I don't care who you fuck, but like you still need to wear a fucking dress. Like that's interesting mm-hmm. that dichotomy that sounds like was happening i'm telling you it's very rigid and what's weird about it my grandmother was like this obsessively like this and she was very femme herself but the the bizarre things all the women she was into were butch as fuck so i didn't understand what her deal was you know okay (laughs) so so weird so there was a lot of shit there they needed you know people need healing including our people they have their own internalized homophobia and transphobia and but eventually when i came out as trans you know, I think that my my main family felt so bad that it took me so long. Mm-hmm. They just like immediately jumped into acceptance because they thought, well, fuck, why, you know, well, what did we not do to make you feel like you could tell us sooner? Like, have you been unhappy all this time? Like, f- like, fuck, like, what, what did I do? You know, I'm so, you know, like, I think that was the biggest feeling I got from people. Like, everyone was so supportive. Even my stepdad was, like, such a, he's, like, super Cuban immigrant guy, very, like, macho kind of guy. And he was the first one to hook, to, like, hook me up. He's a nurse. To hook me up with the local LGBT center in Miami to start hormone therapy. He was the first, he was actually the first person to inject me with testosterone. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really great. It was, yeah, I've been a lucky motherfucker. I say that all the time. I'm lucky as fuck. And I know because I work with LGBT people from all over the world and and I've worked with them in several states and it's just like, and I work still with LGBTQ youth in South Florida and it's like, I know how rare it is to be so immediately accepted and supported and, and loved by everybody that you care about. That's why I was, you know, when I was like, oh, it's kind of disappointing, like nobody said anything, but I was also like, that's great because like it is rare to have everybody accept you and even like take those steps further and also to look back and say like what could we have done differently what can we do to support you like that's that's so great it sounds like you have a really great support system yeah i'm lucky i'm I'm really i'm really lucky also it sounds like every time you do shrooms something amazing happens in your life (laughs) (laughs) i'm not trying to push it on anyone but yes (laughs) Like, absolutely. And, you know, you, but you have to do it thoughtfully. And I think that's the, I think a lot of people think it's like this party thing. And I guess, you know, if that's your deal, whatever, that's cool. But for me, it's much deeper than that. I guess since it always, since the very time, first time I did it, I was lucky enough to have a friend who gave me like instructions for a trip, you know, about like not being drunk and not eating a bunch of crap and like being really hydrated and being somewhere that you feel safe and somewhere beautiful and having, an, you know, and breathing and having an intention before you trip and really seeing it as something bigger than, you know, just like, oh yeah, fucking around and doing drugs. And so I've always sort of, you know, stayed true to that and it's never steered me wrong. Yeah. Like I was out Saturday and my friend was like, we should do shrooms. And I was like, no, like we're, <laughs> we're like in an open mic doing comedy. Like this is not the space for that. Like, I'm absolutely down. Like, I like to go somewhere. Yeah, I like to go to a safe space. The last time I did shrooms, I was at a hotel pool in Biloxi uh, with my friend who he would not get in the pool and I would not get out of the pool. (laughs) We were on very different journeys, but we both had like amazing times and revelations. Like I'm um, officiating my friend's wedding. I came up with the vows in my head because I was thinking about how wonderful love is and how much I love love. And then I was thinking about their story and how I love both of them so much. And, you know, it's like, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. But you can't just on a Saturday night as we're like walking into an open mic to sign up, be like, shrooms? Well, I fucking can't. I don't know how people do shit like that. I don't, I can't, I can't do all that. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
we want to talk. My mom listens to this, so we'll, we'll leave the drug talk down. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good girl, mom. I promise. <laughs> so how did you get to New Orleans? Work. So I um I co-direct a project, and it's a project that provides basically deportation defense and advocacy help to immigrants that are incarcerated across Louisiana and Mississippi and Georgia. And I I was offered uh, this job, uh, and uh, but you know the the goal was to have me in either Georgia or New Orleans, and of course I. I, I picked New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. um, I had been here before for some work things, um, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And especially being here when I came with my partner, you know, we talk about this. So my partner is Afro-Latina. You know, she's visibly black and light-skinned, but visibly black. And either way, the point is we were both kind of like baffled and thinking to ourselves, I wonder if this is one of the few cities in the world that is kind of like both black affirming and trans affirming the way that it is, you know, like, I know it's obviously it's still the United States and it's super fucked up for, you know what I mean? Like the rest of the United States can be fucked up, but there is a vibe here from the people, right? There is a vibe here from the people. And we both felt so nurtured by that and, and safe. And we thought, well, how beautiful is that? Like, you know, so when the offer came in, we were like, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, one comic chef Kelly, who's been on the podcast, um, she when she moved to town she was so worried about like coming out and it, one of the jokes she has is like she came out and they're like yeah but do you eat crawfish like <laughs> more important question <laughs> absolutely yeah. like are you gonna come to the boil and bring some good shit like that's what's great about new orleans oh my god absolutely i've never seen this many gender non-conforming and trans people in my life it's like every other block and i i didn't expect that you know and even just going to like i remember when i first went to ascendance and i saw people genuinely voguing like out like something that i feel like i haven't seen happen organically like that in my life like unless people put on a specific ball but it felt like oh is this what it would have been like to be alive in new york in the 90s or something you know and in that scene like maybe not to that extent but it felt that genuine when when i was at these like queer like poc parties and that yeah, I love it. I absolutely, the, my favorite thing about this place is absolutely the people. It's what makes it 100% worthwhile. I don't give a fuck how many pop <laughs> holes there are. Yeah, I mean, if it was just the infrastructure here, none of us would still be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, New Orleans is just, I tell everyone that. I'm like, it's just the place where whoever you are, wherever you're from, you can just be you here in a way like I haven't found anywhere else. Mm, absolutely. And I, and I think my biggest thing too is wanting to, figure out how to be as as like giving and supportive as possible to people who are like from here and it's been it's been really cool so my partner Marilyn went to culinary school here she she used to work in the oh, nonprofit. Shit. yeah oh not you wanting to become over <laughs> yeah sure well duh <laughs> I'm like culinary school go on <laughs> I see why to... you locked it down now now I see why you got the law involved did I say at the listen when the apocalypse comes I'm not gonna go hungry and it's gonna be no. delightful <laughs> smart smart it's, listen we all gotta have our skills I don't she was fooled I don't have that many to be honest um I'm gonna provide entertainment I, I think that's like the limit and I can clean I can clean like nobody's business and someone needs to do the cleaning yeah, that's helpful. And most people don't want to do the cleaning. So. I'm fine with it because I know I have no other marketable <laughs> skills. <laughs> you just, you're like, I'm going to get really good at cleaning. Yeah. And then 
everyone else will take care of me. Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Like, who's going to need that in the apocalypse? No one. No one. It's going to be useless. There's no, no laws. That's why There's I'm no like, law. Yeah, fuck it. We're lawyers, hopefully we this. act like we're, like, better than everyone else. And it's just, like, we're not. And, like, we're, we are fucking useless when it useless. comes down to survival. <laughs> 100%. Like, what do you need a lawyer for when the apocalypse comes? Nothing. Yeah, it's like my bar numbers. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly like at least a fucking doctor can do something to save your fucking life like uh anyhow well that probably more likely a nurse but in any case that's another that's another conversation but yeah my, Marilyn used to work another big gift that new orleans gave us was this shift in Marilyn's entire like life trajectory she used to work in the nonprofit industrial complex like me representing and helping immigrant families first immigrant kids in new york and then immigrant families across the u.s that were separated during the trump administration and she's central american and afro-indigenous and like so it was a lot of like her own people and that shit like fucked her up like she just couldn't do it anymore it was clearly tearing her apart and so while she was here she discovered noki and um she also volunteered at the urban farm in city park which now i'm blanking on the name but it just made her fall in love with like her roots. You know, her parents are, you know, working class people. Her mom, her mom and her dad have both worked in kitchens growing up since they were like eight years old. And um, they both do like have their own gardens in Long Island of like growing all these like fruits and vegetables and herbs. And it made her realize like that makes her happier. And like, she's been socialized to think that that's like menial labor that's beneath, you know, that like her parents sacrificed everything so she could have some like office job and that office job was killing her. So yeah, she she went to Noki and we became friends with all these amazing local New Orleans, you know, New Orleanians. And I fucking love them. And I'm gonna try my best to do whatever I can to su- to support them. And, and hopefully one of them is going to start a restaurant. But yeah, it's been it's been it's been a fantastic experience. And we're really, really happy to be here for the indefinite we don't know how long, but the indefinite future for sure. I think that while we live in the U.S., we don't want to be anywhere else. Yeah, that make, that makes total sense. Absolutely. And so I didn't realize like Queer Mountain was really your our, our storytelling show. Greetings from Queer Mountain was your first like real foray into storytelling because you're such a natural stage presence. You're such a natural storyteller. The last one we did that we had you on, I put you like I was like you're headlining because no one's going to be able to follow you. Like, what made you? want to to take that step to get on stage and to do storytelling uh you and and uh and keto with a q obsessed i was obsessed with both of you um it wasn't until after i started it that i first saw lp black but that's another person that i absolutely adore y'all are so dope like i i i was so inspired but yeah like you 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 know i mean it it's not flattery when i say that i've seen a lot of like things that are like on tv that are really like that. I don't think are that funny, frankly. <laughs> like some people that you are can like, say oh, it. not hurt my feelings at don't all. Don't think they're that fucking funny. <laughs> and I said to myself, "Holy shit! Look at these people. Like they're so funny. They should be big. Like you know what I mean? Like they're great." And I also thought, "What a beautiful audience too. Everyone's so warm and welcoming. Like even when people bomb, no one really bombs. I've been to comedy shows here that even people bomb, they don't really bomb because people want to enjoy themselves here. They want to <laughs> have a good time." That's what I tell everyone, you know, because a lot of first timers or like newer comics, they're always like, hey, how, how, and I'm like, look, your people chose their night, their night. They got a fucking babysitter. <laughs> they went out to eat before the show. They got an Uber to get here. Like they did that to show up, to listen to you because they want to laugh and they wanted to have a good night. Like they're not out to get you. They didn't show up and they're like, we're going to fuck your night up. Like, and you didn't show up to do that either. I'm like, they're there for you. Yeah. 
So yeah. like take that, take all of that anxiety. Like, don't worry about that shit. Like worry about falling off the stage or like the microphone breaking. Like you have other things to worry about. Totally. But I do think, I wonder what you think actually, as someone who's performed in lots of places, like, do, do you feel there's a special energy in, in New Orleans? Because I feel such a strong relationship with everybody when I'm up there. Like I can feel that our energy is genuinely connecting as human beings. And I don't think, I wonder if that's the case everywhere that you do it. It is not the case everywhere. Uh, other places, it depends on like the venue. Um, I find performing in queer spaces, you generally get that vibe, mm. um, regardless of where you are. Like I did a queer bar in Phoenix a couple of years back, and I just I loved every single person in that bar, the bartender, everyone that came to the show, like every performer. Like it was just such a beautiful. Like you, you get that. I find that more with queer spaces. But yeah, some cities you go, and even if people are laughing, you don't get that vibe and that energy. Um, mm. And some places you go and you're like, they didn't want me to come here in the first place. I don't know why they invited me, <laughs> um, but I'm going to, you know, do my craft and do my thing and try to try to entertain them. But um, but yeah, New Orleans, definitely, because it, it's not just heavy on like we have a really big comedy scene here but we also have a huge music scene there's a huge burlesque scene like we have a huge like all circus scene like we have all kinds of different performances and we want that we want people to come with their most creative one woman play or whatever it is and we'll support it like in a way that other cities don't oh absolutely and people people enjoy it you know like like it's it's wild like people really would rather go to a show with these local performers than say something else you know like if I don't fucking know. We're like Cirque du Soleil, we're traveling through town, you know, some shit like that. Like I found like people would rather go to that local scene of the local performers and y'all have seriously loyal followers here and stuff. Let me tell you. Cause like, I remember when I first told people that I was going to, you know, like that I got to meet you and then I got to like talk, hang out with Keto. They were like, what? <laughs> I didn't know we had that kind of. Uh... Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, someone was talking to me at an open mic, and uh, you know, they were like, "You should make this announcement about this thing I'm doing because you have more pull." And I was like, "I don't have pull." And they're just like, "Do you really not have the ego to like believe that?" And I'm like, "No, but it sounds weird to say." Because <laughs> I'm like, if you want to talk to me, just talk to me. I'm so approachable. I talk to everybody. Same. I'm an extrovert. I'm a Gemini. Like, I don't. I go out to like connect with people. So when people are like wow i was scared to talk to her I'm like what yeah like, what about what about my five two presence was like <laughs> scary don't underestimate that butch energy <laughs> yeah i know maybe it's maybe it's the new haircut <laughs> it's very fly by the way <laughs> thank you I, uh, my mom's coming to town in two days so i'm trying to get into shape <laughs> look like i have my shit together <laughs> nice you're passing fine i would never yeah. tell <laughs> well um so are you going to do comedy? Are you going to come to an open mic and try some stand up and get out there? I want to. Yeah, I do. I got to have, I got to find time to actually write real like set. You know what I mean? And I, cause every time you, that you've reached out to me to do, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And then I remember two days before that I agreed to do it. And I'm like, oh fuck. So I sit down and I go, all right, what am I going to talk about? I don't know. But I I feel like I need to be a little more intentional than that, but I want to do it. I just want to put myself out there. And, and I think this year might be the year to do it. I've, I've set some boundaries finally at work after 10 years of Godforsaken. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I love that for you. I don't know what the boundaries are, but I love hearing people say, because I work at a nonprofit too. Mm. And I actually just had an hour long conversation with a coworker who's newer and is like, how do you handle this? And I'm like, you have to set boundaries. You have to mm. have a, the work-life balance, all those bullshit sayings about, and they're not bullshit sayings, but like, you got to put the mask on yourself. For, like, it's all fucking true. 
Like, I know. I, I, I mock it, but at the same time, I'm like, you have to do that. You have to walk away at five o'clock and say, this can wait till tomorrow. And, and that's okay. And, and yeah. that's part of the reason that I got into comedy was like, I, when I leave work, I want to leave work and I want to do something completely different. I want to make people laugh and bring joy in a different way than like my day job does. And the once you start doing it, and you've probably seen a little bit from Queer Mountain, like, it's pretty addicting. Like, mm, mm. Yeah, it's just very, like, it's just much more healing, and it's very energizing. Like, you, you know, especially if you're an extrovert, there's so much energy that comes from sharing your personal truth with people in that way that it's just, like, it's another type of energy altogether than just, say, like, going out and hanging out with a group of people. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, well, I hope... You get out there and do it, and I'll be there to support you 100% of the way. Thanks so much for being part of the Near and Queer to My Heart family and doing the podcast. Can you let folks know if, if you want to, um, if you want to connect with people on social media where they can find you, or if you don't, tell me no. <laughs> we'll cut this all out. <laughs> it's, it's a little – I'm not great at this stuff. Like I said, I'm an elderly millennial, and as you saw, it took me 10 minutes just to figure out how to get headphones on. But um, my so my handle, I have no idea if it's catchy or cumbersome, uh, cumbersome, but it's on Instagram. It's all lowercase, the T as in the drink, underscore in Mitch. But my last, my first name is M-I-C-H. So it's sort of a play on words on how like my, my name is Mitch without the T, mm -hmm. but I'm the T in Mitch. And the T is like basically being a gossipy tranny. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, when it says the T, because a lot of your Insta stories are like funny memes. And so when I see the T, I'm like, yeah, it's the yeah. T. Yeah, the T is the gossip. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll put it, we'll put it in the liner notes too. So you don't have to remember spelling and things. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for doing the podcast, Mitch. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope I get to come back again someday. Yeah, we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you to our guest, Mitch Gonzalez, for sharing his world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for creating our theme music. Social media with us. Come find us. We're on Instagram, Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart, Twitter at Queer to My Heart. Come say hi. Connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.